Welcome to the Football DNA podcast. Today we are joined by Brad Miller who works at Exeter City Academy and we are discussing foundation phase coaching. Uh, Brad, thank you so much for joining us on this uh, Sunday afternoon after your, your games against Plymouth earlier today. Um, if you want to just do a little bit of an introduction to yourself and uh, your role, and that'd be brilliant. Yeah, thank you very much, Ross. Um, thank you for having me. Um, really, really appreciate it. Um, quite flattered by it as well, so thank you. Uh, hopefully I can just provide some sort of insight into into the day-to-day as what we do here at Exeter and my, my personal experiences and draw from them. Um, so yeah, my name's Brad Miller. I oversee the foundation phase at Exeter City, um, which is the under sevens to elevens program. Um, and I also manage the transition into the twelves and thirteens um, with a particular eye on our um, sort of select players as well within those age groups to manage that that sort of program. Um, just a little bit about about me, I guess. Um, I started coaching when I was sort of 17, 18, 27 now. Um, and I was working at the Community Trust, Exit Community Trust, doing the, your typical after-school clubs and that type of thing, um, as well as working in in the grassroots game at a local football club that I played for. Um, and then did a, a futsal and education scholarship. Um, so I was playing in the EFL games programme in terms of futsal. So I come from a bit of futsal background whilst uh, doing my coaching qualifications, level one and two. Then went on to do a foundation degree in football coaching and development. Uh, whilst doing that, I completed my UEFA B licence. Um, just as I was about to submit my application in terms of doing the top-up year, I got offered the, the role at Exeter as the, the full-time foundation phase lead coach. Um, so this is now my fifth season um, at Exeter, um, having done the Advanced Youth Award and, and currently now on my UEFA A licence. That's sort of been a, a brief introduction into my journey. It's been uh, up and down. Um, it's been hard work, uh, especially as I didn't drive straight away. I, I sort of had to get the train to, to most places and I uh, just, yeah, made myself available and made myself to, to try and take every opportunity that came my way, really, um, which was, yeah, tough tough at times, but enjoyed every minute of it and I wouldn't have changed anything. So, um, yeah, that's just a bit about me. Brilliant. And Brad, you've undersold yourself because you do some brilliant work at a football club that's obviously got a rich history in um producing players um, but also very good people as well and um, your work within the foundation phase is um, really creative and innovative and you know you obviously got some real constraints around where you're situated being in the location that you are we spoke just before the call obviously Plymouth being one of the nearest professional clubs being over 40 miles away from from yourself so I guess to you, really, what, what is the foundation phase? I mean, that, that's obviously one of the reasons why we're on the call today. I mean, what is the foundation to you phase to you? Obviously, we can go through the de- definition, but what, what does it look like uh, for you, really, as a, as, a, as a coach? Yeah, I think, yeah, sorry, just, just probably touching on the club as well. I think it's really good at the club that you get an opportunity here. It's not just an opportunity for, for the players. I think we had, we had 17 academy graduates in the first team last season. Um, as a squad and also obviously the likes of Ollie Watkins, Ethan Ampadu, etc. playing in, in the top level. Um, but yeah, we also get opportunity as staff. So um, we've had, uh, I think Lee, Lee Skirms currently at Southampton was at the FA with England, um, Kwame Ampadu, um, Dan Green, who's, who's worked with every phase, Chad Gribbles, our current under-18s manager. So um, definitely definitely an opportunity club. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a good club to work for. 
Um, but yeah, in terms of the foundation phase, um, for, for me, it's, it really is an exploration age. Um, it's about discovering football. Um, it's an opportunity now for, for us as, as coaches to provide experiences for, for young players um, in this foundation phase, uh, particularly like you mentioned about us in the Southwest um, and our demographic and the type of player that does come in. We need to try and create a positive learning environment for all the players within the phase um, to ensure that we give every opportunity for, for them to try and, and gain as many different skills and attributes as possible um, that will give them the best toolbox, so to speak, to go on and be successful, not just um, in football, but we're very big on putting the, the player first, the, uh, the person before the player and creating well-rounded young men. So um, the foundation for me is exploration age in particular. Um, I think we have a duty to, to provide those experiences for, for those players in, in the early years um, to, to inspire them, ultimately, to, to fall in love with the game of football and um, in particular sort of like the fire in the belly, so to speak. So they, they fall in love with football and they want to continue um, progressing on, on the football pathway, really. Fantastic. And you, you talk about being sort of that exploration phase and it, then being able to explore things as children. I sort of similar to you, really. For me, it's all about being experience led um, with, with the way I sort of approach it with my work, my role at West Ham and from my experiences of, of working in the foundation phase as well. So I suppose in terms of that exploration, well, I mean, what, what does that entail for you, um, whether that's at the club or your personal um, work? I mean, can you give us some, some nuggets on the sorts of things that you would, uh, you would cover within that and how you'd bring that to life? I think variety is key in that, um, providing as many different avenues of the game of football that provides those, those, those tools, if that makes sense. So we're very lucky that we, have, we do have quite a lot of contact time at Exeter, I think we'll come on to it later in one of the questions, but we provide lots of contact time. Um, so our opportunity, so to speak, is, is quite broad for us. So we don't just do football uh, at Exeter. We provide um, a sort of a fundamental movement programme, a multi-sports programme, if you like, um, to, again, expose them into a variety of movements that will hopefully impact on the way that we look for, the characteristics that we look for on the ball as well when, when we're playing football. But uh, ultimately, variety is the key, is the stimulus. So varied formats, varied area sizes within same formats, but bigger area size that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, but also um, a whole range of, of practice design, really, um, that work across our core skills programme. Nice. That we'll, we'll probably allude to later on. Yeah, and I suppose when you talk about that exploration, it's not necessarily just about exploration of playing football then. It's about exploration of how to move, how to adapt to different environments, different stimuluses that you you mentioned. I mean, in terms of then other experiences you get, obviously you talk about the football side and the physical side. Is there anything else that you do or have done in terms of enriching them with experiences which are necessarily not football-based? Um, yeah, yeah, we take them... Um, Obviously, we take them on tour, whereas, whereas that's at a club like Exeter is not, um, we can't do it too often because sure. of finances. Um, but luckily in the Southwest, um, parents are, are happy to pay um, to or contribute towards that. So very keen on the football tours, the football not being the vital uh, component of that, really. So yeah. providing them with 
um, social opportunities to, to be away from their families, away from their, you know, on their own, really, um, in a foreign country, or whether that be England. Um, that's something that we try and provide. Mm. Uh, we also do um, a social before Christmas and after Christmas in a normal world. Uh, where we go off site, we might go to the local trampoline park. We might go to to wherever really to just um, get them away from football and get them running around. Going to uh, <laughs> and that's, I think that's that's quite refreshing because I think obviously sometimes the academies get drawn on a bad line about over professionalisation and being quite serious. But I get the sense, particularly at your club, brilliant. The football is there, and that's obviously really important. But there's obviously lots of other things that need to be included in helping children to develop um and uh i think that's a really interesting approach particularly for if you're a coach and maybe you've got only an hour an hour and a half a week with your kids how do you get that that balance right um you know of what what sorts of work do i do i do and i guess within your i know you'll touch on a little bit later about the training program and stuff what it looks like um by having more of an enriched approach by considering all these different facets you know I, I, how have you found that personally? Do you feel that that's you've got the right balance of football and the other the other areas, or would you want to do more football? I suppose it's just interesting uh, delving into that point. No, I think it's it's really vital for the kids. Um, that's why we do the multi sports as well to to hmm. just expose them to those variety of movements. Really, I think it's a really good balance that we have currently. Um, so, like, we haven't been able to do it this year, but. On a Saturday morning training session, uh, we have a sports hall available. Um, and the definition of a playground is exactly what it is. The first nice. half an hour, the kids come and there's loads of every single bit of equipment you can think of is out that's at a school. And they're just jumping, landing, rolling, tumbling, whatever it might be, and just literally playing. And uh, mm. we get involved. So we actively encourage the, the staff to get involved and play with nice. them um, to, to be like kids as well. And you should see the smiles on the coaches, let alone um, the children, just to be able to show that, that play is really powerful. Yeah. Um, and we can use that in our practice design as well later on, where, you know, you get those, those free play moments um, in, in small-sided games that, that encourage creativeness, really. Mm. Um, so mm. it's just how that still links to the pitch and how it might aid your on-pitch development, but how important those fundamental um, sort of movements and experiences are for children of, of that age in, in this expiration age where they're discovering a passion, really. And they're discovering yeah. football that if it is something that they will want to do once the brain develops into adolescence, etc. And we've just got to give them every opportunity to be able to uh, maximise their potential and maximise their, their abilities. Yeah, and I think obviously hearing about your staff getting involved and doing cartwheels and stuff in the in the sports or I think obviously that empowers the children to feel like actually I can be a kid, I can do these things without kind of feeling constrained within the environment. And sometimes that's that's the challenge of um of coaching within the foundation phase is that coaches traditionally like control um and they don't necessarily like chaos. Um how have you found that really as a coach, you know, in terms of that control and chaos? I mean, what, what does the environment look like to you? And, you know, is that something you found difficult personally at any point or do you quite thrive in that, in that state? No, I thrive in that state. Yeah. It's, it's, oh. um, it's, we've had excellent buy, uh, I hate the word buy-in, but I'm struggling to think of another word, but from the coaches, um, 
in terms of that culture. Uh, it is the culture here at Exeter. You, you come into Exeter and um, we're, we're, you know, I've set up pre-session meetings for, for staff, which works really, really well to just kind of drip feed in these messages uh, over the period of time. And um, if they see, it's the same with the kids. So they see the staff getting involved, but then the staff, if they see me getting involved as Bay's lead, then they think, oh, right, we can do that, can we? Because if they're not getting involved, they absolutely love it. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, again, it just makes it permissible for both the players to be creative and problem solve within the environment and the, the environmental constraints that are currently in, in that playground environment or the game, um, mm. as well as, as well as the staff, because we've got to give the kids the best opportunity to solve the problem. We can't give the solutions all the time. Yeah. And that's just one aspect of it. That's just one um, part of what we do to ensure that we give players opportunity and guide them towards potential solutions but not giving it to them yeah and i think that that's definitely a great point because i think typically you can sometimes feel under a bit of pressure from the parents and from the the kids and maybe other coaches if results aren't going well or the kids aren't doing as well but having that attitude almost not to care and actually um, being willing to provide problems and not solutions as a coach i think is really really important um when you're working with these age groups and including that in your planning, you know, whether it's on matches or your games, you know, actually organizing sessions where it's going to look problematic and it is going to look messy because obviously that's, that's for the children. That's going to put them in an environment where they're going to have to adapt. They're going to have to solve problems. They're going to have to come up with different solutions to situations that they're in, which is fundamentally what's going to happen in, in football. <laughs> um, but obviously that can be quite difficult for coaches because, you almost want to live in this world of utopia where you're kind of trying to orchestrate children you know, onto you giving those solutions and enforcing your own ideas uh, on them. Well, actually, it's not about you. It's about about them. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's really interesting. I suppose, so then if you were to nail down kind of your main objectives then for the foundation phase, I know obviously you, you see it as a, an exploration uh, phase but what would be the key key things that you'd want to try and get out of your your program um yeah it's a really good question in terms of what we want to develop in the foundation phase and first and foremost want to pr provide opportunities to become the best that they can be like i mentioned earlier um and, and well-rounded young men so before we talk about about football we need to provide them with the skills that are going to be life skills that also coincide with football. So we have a set of academy must-haves that are our core values um, and they're all choices. So they're psychological characteristics that are choices in life. Um, and it's, they're written on the outside of our building, our lovely porter cabins that have leaks in, um, but with some of our academy graduates and it's attitude. So very easy demonstrating a positive attitude. Bravery, so bravery in life to, to try new things, to try and get on the ball. Um, to take risks, competitiveness, um, so use of the body to, to win the ball back or to secure the ball, um, but also competitive um, to try and try and win. It's not our main objective as terms of coach behaviours, but wanting the players to, to be like that. Mm. Um, that's not underpinned by coach behaviour. That's trying to just instill it unconsciously. Work great. So working as hard as you can for as long as you can, no matter what the problem um, and what the stress level that we're putting the kids under, always trying to 
guide them towards that and reactions, just demonstrating a positive reaction to everything. So they're, they're sort of what we call our core values and our must-haves. And we want all players to, to demonstrate those as often as possible. And we're very much on the belief that once you get those things right, we can start coaching you and start teaching you the game, um, the way that we see the game anyway. So we talk about getting getting the players right, then get the session right, then get coaching. Um, yeah, and I think that that trying to orchestrate the environment and that, that really being kind of the best starting point for coaches rather than getting drawn into the tactical stuff or getting into some coaching points, actually just getting the environment right is massive when you're working with these younger age groups because if you get the the kids hanging off every single one of your words there's going to be much more implicit learning taking place where they are really really engaged with the tasks that are sort of being provided to them by the coach or what they're coming up with um, themselves one of the points you, you mentioned Brad was around winning um, which I thought was quite an interesting one you know for for you as coaches, um, you know, naturally we want to win. The kids want to win. Parents certainly want to win. So, you know, what in terms of how you su- support that and develop those behaviours, you know, what, what sorts of things do you do and how does that look like um, to you? I could not care less about <laughs> the result, if I'm being brutally honest. I think it's um, the, the outcome of the process. So always talk about the process over the outcome. Um, but if you do have those uh, must-haves more often than not, that probably will become the outcome for the players, but we won't speak about that. Um, But it's the the way that the kids try and play the game, try and play it the way that we see it, um, and instilling those those early core values of of, um, our must-haves, really. So that's supported by all the staff, we're, we're very big on that in terms of when we do our staff inductions, if we've got new staff and, and continuous staff, is that that will not be underpinned by our behaviours. Um, mm. And on a game day, I think we mention it later, but it's a consolidation day. It's not it's not anything different. It's another opportunity to learn. It's just against opposition. So nice. um, it's, it's really, really important that we see that as a consolidation period, really. Yeah, and you, you know those must-haves then. I mean, obviously... You talked earlier about exploration and trying to give them variety. Is there times where you purposefully put them in situations where you know you're going to really challenge them on those behaviours? Because obviously you could probably put them in quite a comfortable environment where the behaviours look really good and everyone's doing well, everyone's winning, everyone's happy. But I mean, how do you how do you do that? Is it strategically planned or you know? Because obviously your games program is quite difficult with the, the clubs that you're playing against. I mean, how do you sort of approach? approach that really so we'll categorize the games in terms of high stress levels competitive games and low stress levels so giving okay. the players the experience to to get repetition of success as well as really struggle um but as well mm. finding moments against really you know like uh, sort of our normal games program our cat free games program where it is competitive games um, and on that Brad, are those games given a level based on result or how is how do you assess that that is current perception, really, okay. um, not really perception, and sort of drawing off the experiences we've already had against them. What did it yeah. feel like more than anything? Okay, so, nice. Um, what did it feel like for, for the boys? How much success did they get at our core skills, which mm. I'll mention later is one of our, our fundamentals, um, but not, yeah, not necessarily game, 
uh, score line because you know you might really really struggle in the game, it might be high stress, but you might win win the game where it's it's not really about that. It's just about yes, um, about those those little fundamentals really. And I think the the key part about that as well as Bats mentioned was um, they with the must have as well. You have to know what it feels like. So. Like you say, if you see everything and it looks like it's all going really, really well, it's very easy to say well done. Um, mm. So strategically planning your coach behaviours to ensure that um, very carefully, you have to be really careful in this one in terms of your language. Language impact and language felt is really, really vital on this. So we had a session the other day and it was um, around counter-attacking. So it's quite a high energy one. Um, there's lots of movement, lots of work rate, lots of enjoyment. But if you drop in a subtle, subtle hint that you weren't quite sure about the level of their must-haves, that usually it looks like it's really, really high. Like, oh, usually get a well done. But then that dopamine effect, they're always after that. So you can <laughs> bring them back in and then they go up another level and then you bring them back in. You're like, you actually train really, really well. But now you know what it really feels like. Mm. You're just giving me an extra even if it's an extra 3%, they now know what that feels like. Mm. It's about around what they feel like as well. Um, so bringing it back round and then asking them questions and, and delving into how do you feel right now, uh, et cetera. So yeah, the, that's probably a long-winded answer. But. Yeah, but I, th I, I think again, that looking at those games and the level of the games can be quite an interesting way of connecting almost, there shouldn't be a connection between training and games fundamentally in the foundation phase, right? You're not preparing the team for the, the match day experience. But if you're working on a particular thing, and maybe you're working on, I don't know, on crate and finish, and you know you're playing in a, a stress game where it's a really tough opposition, naturally you're going to get far less repetition of shots. But when you do get them, they're going to obviously be much needed to be more clinical, right? But likewise, if you're playing against an opposition where you're going to get loads and loads of repetition and loads of goals... So that, that's one of the things that you can kind of almost look at is like level of opposition, format of the game, um, size of the goals, all the things that you're in control of the coach is going to help you to almost manufacture the environment that you want without anyone really knowing that that's the intended outcome. Um, so, and I think obviously that that's a particularly a, a good way for, for clubs working at all different levels if you've got the opportunity to, be a little bit more flexible with how you organise your games and stuff. That could be a really good way of looking at, even at the beginning of the season, just mapping out, right, here's, here's our red games, here's our amber games, here's our green games, and then almost planning out how we're going to work on different things over the course of the year, um, which I think would be quite quite a cool approach. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of then going into the syllabus, so... Uh, you can give us sort of a broad overview of what your kind of curriculum looks like for the year and then maybe what it kind of looks like on a sort of a week-to-week -week basis and a session-by-session -session basis. That would be uh, pretty, yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, no problem uh, at all. So in terms of our, our syllabus, we work across a 42-week programme um, and it is a spiral curriculum. So we always revisit the topics. Um, I think the beauty about Extra as well is there's real continuity and consistent messages which uh, we believe is really vital um, for, for player development in terms of uh, understanding the, the way that we want to play the game um, and through variety those messages still remain the same so they're experiencing those messages but through a different lens all the time whether that be area size format whatever it might be these they're consistent throughout 
Um, but yeah, a typical syllabus is heavily weighted in terms of in possession. Um, but, uh, and we also have variety weeks within mm. that. So it'd be completely random um, where you can just do sort of a, a theme of, of your, of your choice really. Um, so you might say, you know, go completely against the reins and go, whenever the goalkeeper gets the ball, you have to kick it as long as possible. And we've got to then try and deal with that, for example. Yeah. Um, whether that's right or wrong, who knows? But, it, you know, it gets a different return just for a one-off session in terms of variety. Um, so yeah, again, just the consistency of themes, really, throughout. Um, and, and the big area that we have is our core skills programme. Um, yeah. that, that's really, really massive there. The technical competencies that we identified that we want the foundation phase to be competent at um, by the time that they leave and enter the YDP and hopefully have an, an edge in at least one of them. Um, so in terms of the individual, we want them to have a, an, uh, an edge or a super strength, so to, to, so to speak, and hopefully it'll be in one of these areas. Um, and that ball striking, uh, sorry, the technical competencies are, are ball striking, um, passing and receiving, 1v1s and we split our 1v1s into three different types we have dominate versus delay so that is when the player on the ball is under full control of the ball versus the defender trying to delay we have secure versus win so trying to secure the ball under high pressure versus someone trying to win it that's typically back to goal or um yeah under intense pressure where sort of use something to come up with for the players where it's get your hand, your hip and hide the ball. So use the three H's. Um, and the last one is create v prevent, which is creating a goal scoring opportunity versus preventing. Um, and then sort of entwined into all that to try and get a bit of a hybrid. Um, we, we bring in ball mastery um, and your typical ball mastery probably looks like a ball leech doing loads of skills and tricks. Very, conscious of um, making it specific so uh, and relevant to the game so the ball the, the ball mastery will be entwined into the practice design of those core skills uh, nice. so they'll, they'll organically come out in the 1v1s of course that is the nature of 1v1 you've got to find yeah. solutions um, but in terms of the passing receiving and the, the the ball striking we'll try and find clever ways and unique ways to just try and drip feed in that, whether it's to start the practice or during the practice, uh, whatever it might be. Brilliant. And um, and I suppose do those, uh, your sort of technical library as such, you know, does that link to a, a, a topic or is that your topic? Like where you cover like building from the back and more game-based themes or do you solely focus more on a, on a technical theme um, for training? So in terms of training, yeah, we have, um, we, we train for two hours. So yeah. we have a 30 minute uh, movements slot, which I mentioned earlier about the, the type of different things that we do, uh, multi-sports and variable fundamental yeah. movements. Uh, we have, then we have uh, a couple of core skills, whether that be ball striking or um, passing and receiving. And then the theme as well, and our, our small-sided games programme um, that we have, I'll touch on that in a minute. Um, but basically what we try and educate the coaches to do is, is drip feed the core technical information that's required, but also using the core skills across the practice spectrum. Yeah. Heavily making whatever the, the group needs or individuals within the group need in terms of the practice spectrum. Do we need to add in some interference or not? Or whether we mm. just need 
pure repetition and trying to slowly unconsciously drip feed in messages towards the thing um whether that's always linked or not um sometimes not but how you can manufacture or potentially drip feed little ideas in so uh, clear examples yesterday we're doing a passing and receiving practice um that sort of allow players to travel through zones and end in ball striking then just going oh yeah but what what might it mean out of possession for the player that's just passed from the deepest zone into the middle zone? Oh, yeah, I've got to move here to provide balance, which then I said, I'll remember that for later. And then you sort of try and then drip feed in um, your, your topic, which was around um, providing, uh, was around pressing. So it's just trying to slowly scaffold it up um, yeah. the session. Um, and then into the, into the small side of games, really, um, that we have on a Tuesday, we do tight areas. So we work off six yards per player. Um, and the formats range from 2v2 to 4v4. Uh, on a Thursday, work between 6.5 and 7 yards per player. So it's basically exposure to, to high-speed running and oversized areas. So you work from anything from sort of 5v5 to 8v8 or 9v9, depending on your age. Yeah. Uh, and then Saturday, try and just mirror the, um, the pitch that you'll play on the following day. Um, okay, so that's cool. How we sort of scaffold up our, our games throughout the week where you get exposure to tight areas as well as big areas yeah and I suppose if you haven't got the opportunity of training three or four times or two or three times a week you may the pitch size you may change it week by week or a couple of weeks at a time and you know I really like that getting that variation of the pitch sizes and the returns that you're going to get that but not necessarily just in terms of the more traditional rectangular shape you might go with an hourglass shape or you may go with a circular pitch you may go with a diamond pitch they're always they're all different challenges that are going to be thrown um, at the players and it's going to have to teach them how to adapt um, to those those you know what you know ultimately which is one of the things that we want to try and get across when we're working with players so I, think, I guess yeah, on that as well um, yeah. sorry to butt in but we'll, right. try and, we'll try and mimic the core skills area size to the theme of the small-sided game yeah so if it's uh, a pass and receiving we'll do like a tight pass and receiving or a tight possession whatever it might be and if it's big will then expose them to try and uh, pass and receive over bigger areas as well just mm. to increase the the opportunities for scanning frequencies as well so they're not only looking across and down towards their slight peripherals in terms of just around them but they've also got to lift their head and be aware of what's around them in terms of developing a whole range of scanning um, yeah. experiences as well and do you ever do anything like where you're kind of the kids will expect right we're working on this tonight and then suddenly you'll just completely flip it and do something completely different where they have no idea what's happening. So one of the things I've been really interested by, I've been speaking to a few few guys, and I was speaking to um, a gentleman at AZ Alkmaar, and they'll say they'll deliberately set up training where the kids, you know, they will inform them, their parents and stuff, right, we're working on creating and finishing, and then on the training night, actually, they'll do something different. So the kids kind of go into training thinking we're going to be doing this, and then actually a curveball's thrown in. And they have to adapt their whole session and everything they're focusing on in a completely different way. And the other thing you said about was about actually not if, having more than one theme in a the session. So you may do be doing something around, I don't know, building from the back and then changing it and adding creating and finishing or a defensive theme in the same session. And sort of the idea around it is that it's always trying to get the kids not to be in that comfort zone, it's to put them in that zone of proximus for learning where they're always being sort of on the cusp of, you know, almost going over the edge. And um, I think sometimes that that's potentially a a risk is that 
if you're structured, if you've got such a structured program that the kids kind of know what's coming, and actually in games they're not going to know what's coming. You know, they know that maybe the opposition and the game, but they have no idea what the type of game they're going to come into. So I just yeah, I was interested, you know, in terms of how you map out the year. Is that quite fluid with with how you structure it, or are you quite set with what you're you're doing? Yeah, quite fluid. Yeah, coaches uh, yeah. got autonomy of it, and like you said, you can always throw in curveballs. That they've got complete autonomy, and we we trust that the the part time members of staff as well to to be able to do what's right for the kids and the mm. players' needs. Um, so yeah, those little curveball sessions. We we actually had this discussion yesterday in the office with our FAYCD. Um, Parksy, we because the core skills does provide lots of different stimulus because mm. the practice design is always varied. So it's never the same. It's not always, oh, we're doing pass receiving. So we're always doing this practice. It's always, yeah. it's always different. Uh, so the players don't always, they'll come to training and they probably won't really realise what they might be doing. Mm. Um, so to speak, they might have half an idea of the topic because of the previous session. Um, but we had this discussion yesterday. How much is too much and how much is not enough? This yeah. kind of golden question that I can't really answer. But yeah, we kind of just try and get them, like you say, in that zone of um, learning proximity where they're trying to figure it out and trying to uh, discover more, really, throughout the session. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And that's an interesting point because um, I've been um, in conflict, really, with you want to empower coaches to be creative with practice design and how they create stuff. But the challenge with that sometimes is that the children can spend more time learning the practice and less time learning the skill. So obviously with such a, a technical based program, how do you how do you how do you manage support that? You know, because obviously if if you've got a really good practice where you know actually this is gonna be you're gonna get these returns from it, and actually if you slightly tweak it, you'll get some different some spin-offs from it. But sometimes as coaches you can kind of almost feel like every time you come to training you've got to do something different you've got to put on a new session whereas if you've got really really good practices like five or six good practices actually just stick with them and get really good at them and just find little ways of of almost constraining or challenging the players with that um but yeah it was interesting to know um how you support the the you know the coaches on that front i think given them given them autonomy they fit, uh, they're, they're really valued and we do really value them yeah, uh, and from a phase lead perspective, I can't do it all on my own. Mm. Um, I need good people around me, so I'll, I want to try and empower the coaches to be the best that they can be. Because ultimately, we, we've got as coaches, we've got 10, 15 years to try and get it right. And you know, I heard this at a conference quite a few years ago that we have 10, 15 years to get it right as coaches, but the kids have only got one opportunity. Yeah. So, always alluding back to that is that the kids have one opportunity. So at, every session we have to give them our best mm. and as long as the coaches give them their best I, I trust them that they'll put on a good session for them um, yeah. whether the formats remain the same um, the constraints within it will probably differ due to yeah. the due to the theme and stuff so regular and individualized CPD is massive for, for part-timers because we don't have very many full-timers especially in the foundation phase yeah. so doing that and trying to upskill them as best as, as I can do is is um, really really important and and trusting them they they do thrive um, off that and they do want to to seek your approval of course um, but just going go on just give it a go 
give it a go because they, they've got to be brave. Um, we, we have a set of coaches must-haves like the players do. So as long as you're giving your best opportunity, your best version of yourself and understanding what you need to be for the players at that moment in time, I think probably doesn't quite answer it, but kind of alludes you to the, the environment that we do have. Yeah, I, I just I find it quite an interesting subject because... I think sometimes actually by having a, a really good practice and it which works seamlessly, coaches can impose their personality more because they're spending less time worrying about the organisation or how am I going to get this out and how am I going to coach this? And they spend less time traditionally coaching and more time inspiring. Um, and that, that's sometimes when you're putting lots of new practices in place, sometimes you can get more drawn into the football stuff and less time drawn into focusing on inspiring the children, getting the children to explore and, and all those different things as well. So, yeah, it was just something I, I've kind of um, in, in conflict with um, myself. So, um, but yeah. When you have those golden threads that you, that you have as a club that you go after, they kind of formulate within your sessions autonomously as well. So mm. it'll always be designed around some, some of the, the key either in possession or out of possession traits that we look for as a club, which yeah. also will then probably limit in terms of the types of formats that you might be able to do. But yeah, it's, it's probably finding that balance between what you know works and, and again, what, what do the players need? Yeah. Do, need? do they need a bit of something different or could you give them a format, give them a new practice and then, then revisit it again when that topic comes up um, in the yeah. spiral curriculum? So yeah, it's, it's a real seesaw one isn't it <laughs> yeah it's a good question uh, Tristan's asked just in terms of technology and and how how much is used do you guys do anything in terms of analysis filming games and stuff do you use it anyway in, in terms of when you're delivering your sessions you know is there anything that you do with iPads and stuff I mean do you want to I don't know if there's anything that you you do specifically Brent yeah we don't do any analysis with the foundation phase um but what we do or what we are striving towards before COVID, um, we, we have sort of a player library. Um, and if we do any analysis, it is done as purely a highlights reel in front of the players. Yeah. Uh, it's never stood up at the top and saying, oh, Ross, you needed to track your runner in this moment in front of the children. don't believe that's quite right. Um, but it will be a highlights reel of goals, saves, demonstration of our core values, um, both... Um, the must-haves as well as any particular ball striking moments, 1v1 moments, pass and receive mm. moments, using our pass structure that we have in terms of our A pass, B pass, C pass and D pass. So just highlighting sort of um, for them to reconnect with the Exeter way more than yeah. anything um, rather than going through any any potential bits that we need them to work on. Um, hopefully by next season, we will have a player library for each player where they do have some some even better ifs. Um, but they won't be shared in terms of the group. That'll be for them to access on their own um, to, to have a look at, as well as potential um, use in reviews. Yeah. So we have we have seven reviews across the season. Um, so one every six weeks, and they're both uh, either formal or informal. So you might use them uh, between them. So uh, yeah, yeah, I think I find that quite an interesting one because I think fine children or children are dependent on parents, guardians, 
ultimately to get access to technology right and yeah. that's one of the things i've always been in conflict because obviously for children there's nothing more engaged in them watching themselves play football doing some really awesome stuff and that's could be a great way of inspiring them and really engaging them in learning but ultimately they're dependent on the parents and for me the the use of analysis is a great way i think of helping parents and the child to really look at the things that they should be looking for and almost using it as a tool to educate the things that are kind of focused and sort of sort of priorities to focus on so you mentioned obviously being more process driven rather than outcome so not necessarily just looking at the goal that's been scored or the result at the end looking at maybe some things that the child has done in terms of their work rate or their effort to try something um, and that that can be a great way of almost steering the lens of when they're watching on a match day, actually look at the look for these things rather than look at this stuff, which is almost perceived as important, but actually probably isn't on the grand scheme of things. So I do find it quite difficult um, as, a, as something to, to look at. But I think ultimately, if it's used as a highlights reel and it's used to help educate, I, I think there's some some power in that. Um, so, yeah, but um one of the other questions just come in in terms of, uh, you know, obviously the last year has been quite difficult. I think we worked out at West Ham, we had missed 30 weeks um, over the last year from kind of time. And one of the things we spoke about is that time that's been lost. And actually, you know what, it's not going to be anything we can change. And you know, we don't really want to see that we're using it as catch up time. And for us, actually, it was trying to put a positive spin on it that whilst they've not been exposed to what they normally would have had at, at, from training there's been lots of other stuff that we've done through zoom and other, other things that actually they may have not had experience in doing before i mean from you what's been your experience with the lockdown and how have you guys approached it as a as a club yeah tough um it, it is difficult it, well, it was difficult it still is um and I, I i think that the players were absolutely brilliant throughout it um, we provided them with um, lots of opportunities via Zoom, not only to do sort of your, your technical uh, usual sort of Zoom session that you probably would have come across. We did um, we did one of those a week, but we also did like um, a classroom type workshop each Tuesday and we'd have like little quizzes and that type of thing just to keep them engaged in terms of the Exeter way, as well as just lots of little fun and just keeping them interactive with their, their Exeter teammates. Mm. Um, and also sent out home challenges for them. Um, we, we have a YouTube channel for all, the, for all the age groups, a private one, where they can watch their games. And we also put loads of um, sort of technical um, sort of uh, practices for them to do at home, as well as um, our SNC uh, guys put in uh, loads of different movements for them to do uh, away from home as well. So loads of animal walks, different, trying to copy different animals to just expose them to loads of different movements at home as well. Cause you know, it's, it's, especially the third lockdown when it was not as uh, sunny as the first one was it. So it was providing quite difficult for a lot of people to, to get out and exercise. So just providing them with lots of different stimulus. I think when we come back, it was one of the members of staff mentioned it and it really hit home that this is a really important time to, reconnect them with the skills that they've done during there so on our first session we kind of did practices that were similar to yeah. what they were doing from there to show that there was a relevance to the work that they have missed 
mm. so to speak. So um, I think that really worked well. And then also formulating your your practice design is one thing, but also your constraints that also linked to that as well mm. um, was really, really powerful. And also we had um, some guest speakers in. We got some really good people at Exeter that got hold of some some um, guest speakers for us also linking in. Oh, do you remember what Harry Redknapp told you? <laughs> like thing. So, um, he, you know, just just trying to reconnect them with all those experiences and bringing them back into uh, our, our way that we do it at Exeter. Yeah, and I think probably from from my own end, it's it's been it's never it's never made me clearer in terms of how things should be in the foundation phase, which is just get kids playing football with their mates in a fun, safe environment. And actually just make sure they go home having an absolute blast. And that's what, what the foundation phase should should all should be about. And obviously we, we had a podcast a few months ago with Sally Needham. She talks about there's a, with younger children that there's a delayed response on trauma. And actually trauma doesn't always get shown in a in a typical way with young children. So it's really difficult to gauge the impact that this has had. And ultimately, all you can do is control the environment you've got to make sure you're delivering the right things uh, for, for the children. So, you know, that they're having a really good uh, time playing football with their friends, regardless of the environment, whether they're in an academy or not. And actually, they're just having the best childhood that they can, really. And obviously, there's been an element of time missed, but it's only been time missed because we know that they could have had it, whereas actually for the kids... They're quite robust and they'll sort of just get on with it. Um, so I think it's just, yeah, it's just realigned kind of what the focus should should be. Yeah. Um, you, you, you mentioned obviously you're doing the work that you do with um, supporting the players, just in terms of how you approach individuals then in training and games. It'd be good if you can just touch on that. Um, and perhaps after that, we can maybe open up to, the, to those that are listening to the call if they've got any questions um, for you as well. Yeah, of course. So, um, in, in particular, is um, within the small-sided games approach is very much constraints-led. Um, again, to, to provide a stimulus to problem-solve rather than guiding them towards the solutions again. Um, we just feel that them being able to try and perform certain characteristics within that a constraint guides them towards doesn't give them solutions. So in terms of the language impact as well in that is really, really key that it links to um, potential role models. So can you perform a, t can you perform a turn that allows you to play forwards to do an A pass, which is our language, extra language, but it links to, can you turn like Fernandez to be able to play forwards um, to just bring in the characteristics that the individual sees on the TV mm. And how that relates and translates in their head into extra language and on the pitch within that, nice. that fine constraint. So role modeling behaviors is really, really cool way of doing it. Yeah. Um, uh, within a constraints based approach in terms of the small sided game. So produce loads of different challenge cards. I think I sent them through to you back along. Yeah. Um, that gives gives players to the autonomy to to choose when they do it. Um to try and perform it in their way rather than our way again. So um, that's a key way. Um, as I mentioned earlier as well, is identifying a super strength for the player. So very quick to say, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. But identifying with players what they can do and trying to make those things better as well. Mm. Um, it's very easy to go, oh, we want to work on this with you because we, we want you to become better at that. But also, if he's a really good ball striker, let's, let's give him opportunity to become even better. 
Um, yeah, that, that's definitely a great point because sometimes as coaches, you can end up almost feeling like you're trying to fine tune a car. You know, you're trying to, you've got the, the frame there and you're just trying to add different bits to it. <laughs> and you end up coming up with this strange creation that you've almost got. Whereas actually, if you've got something that's already really good at something, just enhance it and give it more opportunities to get really, really good at that. Um, so, for example, we've got a kid that scores loads and loads of goals. And of course, we, we try and play our children in lots and lots of different positions in, in, in games. But actually, if you've got a kid that's really, really good at scoring goals, let's get them like even better at scoring goals and provide them even more challenges. Because that's actually, that it may end up becoming kind of their identity as they become a little bit older. They know that, that they really want to become a, a goal scorer and something they're obsessed by. And that, that may help separate them from, you know, their peers and stuff as they aspire to get to the level they want to. So with that um, one as well, it's providing them like we do that as well. They play in all different positions um, for quite a number of years, but putting them in an area of strength in a game or a position of strength to be able to provide them with that stimulus to perform their edge as well yeah. as putting them in the complete opposite position. So if a striker scores loads of goals, go and then play centre-half and then he has to think about, well, what might the centre-half have to think to be able to stop me? Or what mm. that striker do to me that I now can also flip as well so they, they then formulate some of your discussions that you might have with that player don't they yeah exactly and that's a you know another great way of looking at it. it's not looking at the positions on on your match day almost to facilitate the needs of the player so you're not using the positions to get kind of outcomes on the match day you're using it to help support the player's needs from a develop, developmental perspective um, which I think is a really interesting way of doing it and also one of the things I find really difficult for young children is that they have to learn loads of different formats, loads of different positions. And actually, that's quite complex. You know, it's not like they're playing 11 aside every week and I'm just playing right back. You know, they're, they're having to really comp get an idea of playing such a varied um, games program that actually sometimes just looking at, right, for the next six weeks, we're going to play you in these one or two positions and then the next six weeks we're going to play in these one or two positions so you're almost blocking out their positions based on their needs so there's some real rationale to I'm playing this child here or the child's playing themselves there because they want to work on this or they need to, to try and develop this um yeah. I don't know if you've got anything on that Brad, that you do at all yeah, we, we plan our positions uh, strategically to to be able to give them opportunity to do so um, and also trying to formulate your, your type of conversations that you might have with the player. So pre-COVID, we'd put each of the four periods up in the in the changing room and just leave and, and let them look at the teams um, and be like, Kai, I'm with you today and I'm playing here. So like what they might discuss some some key bits that they might, so you might pair them up properly, like organ um, deliberately so they can discuss our, um, Ross is a really good defender, but I'm, Brad's playing there today so how can you help me mm. um, so yeah just using those little ideas um, and also giving the children the dare to do so so children will always want to try and prove you right um, and will always try and strive for your approval so daring them to be able to play centre half and be like Van Dyke, they're going to be like alright oh, okay yeah I'm going to be like Van Dyke today but be Van Dyke to stop the A pass. So then again, linking in carefully what you really is caught to you at your club. Um, yeah, nice. We might use stop the A pass, which is 
basically a, a forward pass into a forward run, which is a through ball. So we might say, I'll oh, defend like Van Dyke, but try and stop the A pass as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, giving them opportunity to do that um, and, and daring them as well to, to work on their ILPs within it, but not actually telling them that they're working on their ILPs. Brilliant. Um, great stuff. Well, Brad, we've probably got sort of five minutes left. I'm keen to kind of open it up to uh, anyone that's um, been tuned tuned in. Um, so if you've got any questions that you want to put in the chat box that may relate to you, um, then feel free to do so. We've got another one here. Um, just in terms of how do you keep young goalkeepers engaged and develop your club? That's a great one. Yeah, great one. Great one. Um, first and foremost, well, a couple of ways, really. Um, Utilising the, the goalkeeper coach within small-sided games as well. So not just having them away from the group is really, really important. So having them uh, a part of the session as well as you know, when you go up for your qualifications, when they say look on, around and away from the ball, um, it's really, really important to include the goalkeeper within your um, on-pitch coaching um, to make them feel valued. Also, when it's done on small-sided games and, and we're working on a, a particular theme and we've set certain challenges, we'll also incorporate the goalkeeper. So if we're on, use that example a minute ago about uh, defending the A-pass like Van Dijk as a centre-half, we'll also be like play like Neuer, play as high as you can, um, mm. try and receive the ball and stop the A pass. And um, we've also we've got a, a lad that's in coaching with us, a current first team player who, who mentioned around uh, play the keeper high to make the the pitch smaller. Um, if that makes sense, you're able to sustain yeah. it a bit more. Um, but yeah, in terms of keeping them engaged, that that's one way um, for everyone, for all individuals to have their own ILP cards that's got their superstar on the front their edge on the front and then their key points to work out on the back. It's very child-friendly, lots of colours, very bright. So they get those as well. Um, also, they play outfield in, in futsal sessions. So they don't just play in gold all the time. Um, so they're, they're able to, to continue working on their feet. Obviously, with the modern trends of the game, being comfortable with possession at your feet is, is vital. So giving them that opportunity to, to do that is really, really key. Um and yeah, just making them feel included, really, because it's very easy not to. Because you know, yeah. I'll openly admit, I don't really know much about goalkeeping. <laughs> try and keep it out of the net, to be honest. But um, well, we had we had on one of our Zoom calls, one of our outfield plays, they jumped on the goalkeeper session where we had a Q and A with some goalkeepers and stuff, and they like they were like really intrigued by it. Like, oh, I really want to give this a go. And since you him that, the kid is unbelievable in goal, really? and he's also really really good out on pitch. And I think. Actually, sometimes by having goalkeepers, you might limit some others that want to go in goal from playing in goal too. And I think that's, again, potentially sometimes a brave move as a, as a coach because obviously you may be perceived that, uh, you know, you know your results may not go your way and it may affect how the kids do. But ultimately, it's about children exploring, as you, you mentioned at the beginning. And, you know, that's obviously get, giving them that opportunity to have goes at that. That may end up becoming something that a kid wants to go and do when they're older, and obviously loads, loads of stories around outfielders that have gone on to be very good goalkeepers as well. Um, another question for you, Brad. Um, what is your proudest moment as a coach? It's going to get deep here. So, uh... <laughs> it's a tough on that. Um, I think every time you step onto the pitch and you see the face, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of what 
environment we created here at Exeter. Um, just seeing all all the individuals and all the coaches trying to inspire these young children in football and hopefully give them the best possible experience to, to stay in love with the game and, and try and progress up our pathway and get the opportunities that they deserve. I think that that's a key one is when I, when I just take a step back and observe the whole face. We have sevens to, to twelves training on a Tuesday, um, which is my phase plus the twelves. It just yeah fills me with pr- like pr- prideness really to to be able to see all that in action and and look back and just think yeah there's um there's some really good work going on here um, but also to strive to become better uh, I want to get better myself and make the people around me hopefully become better um, and make the ultimately because you want the players to become better um, which is which is what it's all about um, and and yeah that's probably I guess it's probably not a moment but just each opportunity, each opportunity um, to work with the players. Uh, I'm very lucky I get to work with the under-18s extra as well. So um, seeing some of those boys that go on and, and are playing in our first team at the moment is is really, really good. You know, I've only played a very, very, very small part in that. Um, but seeing that's brilliant. Um, and also um, some of the boys that I had at under-10, I've been here seven years now so like they're just earning scholarships from my first group um so seeing that it is also a proud moment that they come through our pathway but yeah there's lots of things there is lots of things but um seeing kids playing football and having fun is is ultimately the, the aim great answer we've also got a liverpool fan on the call brad because they're asking would you let your, your goalkeepers go up for for corners Obviously, Big Allison gets himself a winner today in the 93rd minute. What, I mean, what, when you're working with younger ones, do do your goalies go up and join in in the attacking stuff, or are you yeah, like, no, your job is to stay in goal? <laughs> we got one absolute loon in the under tens who would his first. I remember his first session as an under under eight. Obviously, whatever. Yeah, you're a goalkeeper. If you think you are, no problem. He wants to be in goal. He's got his gloves on. And honestly, he's higher than the defenders in this program. <laughs> he's trying to get in the way of the ball. It's like, brilliant, fantastic. And um, he actually scored last year um, because we asked the goalies and you you usually get um, reluctant compliance with goalkeepers to play high because they're scared of getting lobbed. But this one's like, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take a bit of that. So I say yeah. from corners, play in their half. So have your toes at least on the halfway line, but try, nice. and, try and be in their half. And he went up for a short corner, received it. And because the goalkeepers work on, I mentioned ball striking earlier, the goalkeepers take part in that as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he uh, he didn't get pressed and thought, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna take a shot and it went into well, the corner. And so. I suppose that's a great way of developing bravery and being courageous. It was all traits that goalkeepers are probably going to have to have. Confidence as well, you know, being uh, risk adverse, being able to deal with mistakes, you know, it's another way of challenging them in to do that and there's nothing more exciting as a coach is when you when your goalie score a, a diving header with a couple of minutes to go and the, the euphoria of all the kids and parents cheering because one of the, the goalies has scored is kind of what it's all all about and kids like the goalkeepers particularly when they score they do remember it and they make sure everybody <laughs> remembers it as well so <laughs> I think as well is that with every risk that you take is an opportunity to work on something else so yeah. whether it comes off or not so it we look at our must-haves for reaction, for, for so to speak, is that 
for every brave decision that you make, whether the outcome happens or not, but that process then gives you an opportunity to, to do something else. Nice. Framing it as an opportunity rather than a threat is, is really key for the, for the players and, and your coach behaviours underpinning that is really vital because you're like, oh no, it's a game. You can do that in training, but not a game. Why not? Yeah. Um, it is, is the key bit. So, yeah. So what if you can see, um, you know, like the these players under 9, 10, 11, whatever it might be, will not remember the result of the game that when they go on and play in our first team. So like Matt Grimes, who's Swansea captain now, he does not remember the under 9s score against whoever, Plymouth, Cheltenham, whoever you want to say. So it's, it really is irrelevant. It's about the experience and the opportunity and the learning that takes place along along that process. Definitely. And yes, I mean, that is certainly one thing. You often hear pros talking about their younger years playing football being the best times that they've had. And it is because of the experiences that they've got playing with their friends. And ultimately, when, yeah. They draw yeah. for a moment rather than, or an experience rather than a result. Yeah, exactly. So brilliant. Brad, I really appreciate you um, giving up your time on a Sunday evening to talk everything about the, the foundation phase uh, with such enthusiasm and, and passion. And I can tell it's something you're obviously um, really fortunate to be working at a really forward thinking football club, but also to be working with um, the age groups that you are. I think for any of those that are working in the foundation phase, it's, there's obviously a lot more support now for coaches working with with young players, and um, you know it's, we've obviously got a, a responsibility as coaches to to give the kids the the best childhood they possibly can playing football. And it sounds like you're doing some brilliant work at, at Exeter. Hello, everyone. It's Stuart here from Football DNA. Thank you for listening to our latest podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and gained some knowledge. Make sure you check out our website www.footballdna.co.uk for all your coaching or player development needs. We have over 800 videos on the site covering every section of the game. We have outfield and goalkeeping content from professional coaches on video, along with sports science and nutrition videos for players to become better off the pitch. The ultimate platform for coach and player development. Take care and all the best. Sure.